What a great song. What a great truth and what a great Savior. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here today. We welcome you in and anyone who may be visiting today, what a great joy to have you with us as well. Today we continue our sermon series, Journey to the Cross, our study of the Gospel of Mark, which takes us today up to Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 52, our passage today. I invite you to follow the words on the screen, or if you want to, in the Bible there in the pew, or on your tablet or smartphone, however you access the Word of God. Jesus arrested, Mark 14, beginning at verse 43, just as Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord and God, come to us in the stillness of this time, of this sacred time, as we worship you as your church, your people. Come to us, touch us, heal us, convict us, comfort us, exhort us, encourage us. We need you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. People loved by God, have you ever been betrayed? I think you know what I mean. A family member stabs you in the back. A coworker spreads lies about you. A close friend breaks confidentiality. Maybe your spouse cheated on you. Someone you trusted stole from you? If you've lived many years at all, chances are you know what it feels like to be betrayed because it really happens to all of us at some level. And it especially hurts when it comes from those closest to us. Today, the action shifts from a lonely, prayerful struggle of Jesus in Gethsemane with sleepy disciples 
to a mob scene that includes a crowd of religious authorities, a few Roman guards, Judas, Jesus, and his disciples. No sooner had Jesus told his disciples, rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer, and the betrayer appears. It is Judas, one of Jesus' own twelve. With him a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. The Sanhedrin itself, the Jewish high court, had issued the warrant for Jesus' arrest. Roman soldiers joined the temple guard to make it happen. And Judas, as you know, betrays Jesus with a kiss. A sign of friendship. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, he kissed them. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus? You come out here with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you in the temple courts in broad daylight teaching. You didn't arrest me then, but these things are happening so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. It was predicted. It was predicted. And sadly, in verse 50, we read then that everyone deserted Jesus and fled. Today's passage marks a significant turning point in the gospel. A turning point now toward the cross, toward the crucifixion. There's no going back now. There's no escape. The wheels are now set into motion. The passage elicits many feelings. Anger toward Judas, perhaps. Sympathy toward Jesus. Frustration at all of those disciples who fled, who had just vowed a little bit earlier that they would never leave Jesus, never desert Him. We will be with you unto death. And they all fled. And maybe disgust toward those religious leaders who should have known better. The passage also raises questions about God's sovereignty and free will choices that we as humans make was Judas just a pawn in God's hands, a part of God's plan, or was he acting in his own free will? How do those two things coalesce? So let's unpack it, shall we? Three things that must be noted about Jesus' arrest. Number one, the shocking traitor. Just say it with me. The shocking traitor. We don't know the exact motivation behind Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Was it for money, the 30 pieces of silver promised him? Was it for power, recognition, historical notoriety? His name would live on in infamy forever. Was he trying to force Jesus' hand to go ahead and establish the political kingdom over and against Rome, which the Jews desperately wanted, but Jesus had not yet done? We don't know for sure. We don't know exactly why Judas did what he did, but we do know that Judas had allowed his desires to be used and manipulated by the enemy, by Satan. Luke says in chapter 22, then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. Notice now how Satan is quietly acting behind the scenes. And isn't that the way Satan works? 
in our thoughts, in our minds, in our hearts, often behind the scenes, conspiring with us to do evil. The scene is highly disturbing. Judas is one of the twelve, for God's sake. He's been walking with Jesus for some years. He'd seen Jesus do miracles and preach good news and speak truth and offer compassion, heal the sick, cast out demons. Jesus walked and slept along, excuse me, Judas walked and slept alongside of Peter and James and John and Andrew and all the other disciples. Judas was embedded with Jesus' closest friends, right there among them the whole time. They lived together. They followed Jesus wherever he went. And yet, apparently, Judas is disappointed with Jesus. He was with Jesus, but he wasn't really with Jesus. You know how that is? Sometimes you think people are with you, but they're really not with you at all. Judas is disappointed. Jesus wasn't the Messiah that Judas wanted. Jesus didn't make the right political moves that Judas thought he should. Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans like Judas and others thought that he should. And and Jesus talked about dying, rendering their whole mission in the last three years of following Jesus kind of worthless. What? Now you're going to die? This whole mission's doomed to fail. And Judas had had enough. He met with Jewish religious leaders to arrange for the arrest. And he has the audacity to betray Jesus with a kiss. And soon after the arrest, if we fast forward, as you know the story, Judas regrets his decision. He doesn't like the direction things are moving. He tries to return the 30 pieces of silver to undo his deal. He wants to wash his hands of his sin and guilt, which is now heavy upon him. But it's too late. Judas has made his decision. And the wheels of God's sovereign plan are now set into motion. Judas was not a puppet in God's hands. He made his choice. Judas didn't lose a relationship with Jesus. I don't think he ever had one. John refers to Judas as the son of the devil or the son of, the, son of hell. Sadly, Judas ended his life in despair, never experiencing the gift of forgiveness or of healing or of salvation, the things that Jesus came and could have offered him. Judas would go on to hang himself so close and yet so far. Judas is the shocking traitor who would turn against Jesus. Number two, this passage contains not only the shocking traitor, but the striking truth. Say it with me. The striking truth. What Judas did was reprehensible, to be sure. But before we cast Judas to the dung pile of humanity, we must also take a sober look at ourselves this day. Take a look in the mirror. Are we really so different than Judas? Are we really that much better Might we, could we have all done the same thing, maybe in those circumstances? 
Do we not all have the capacity to betray Jesus at some level? Maybe a healthy dose of humility is needed right about now for all of us. Much is speculated about this young man who was stripped naked in verses 40, or excuse me, 51 and 52. Isn't that an interesting comment on this story? A young man wearing nothing but a linen, that's kind of like his underwear, uh, was following Jesus, and when they seized him, he fled naked. Apparently they kind of ripped it off from him or whatever, and he, he, le- he, he fled, leaving his garment behind. Naked as a jaybird. <laughs> and they called him the streak. <laughs> okay, remember that? Some of you remember those. Oh, man. And there he goes, naked. It seems like a rather odd footnote to include in this story. None of the other gospel writers even make mention of this. Only Mark. Who was this man? Some speculate that it was John Mark himself, the very author of this gospel. Some say maybe he was an apostle of John, or or maybe he is James, the brother of Jesus. We really don't know. Commentators struggle to understand why Mark mentions him. Why this man stripped naked? Kind of a strange thing to put in there. Well, let me propose an idea. I didn't write any commentators, uh, commentaries on this, but here's my thought. Could it be that the man stripped naked could serve as a kind of stark reminder of the naked truth about all of us? Could it be that this, his nakedness is a kind of metaphor revealing the condition of our hearts, of our deepest heart, even the secret side of us and all of humankind, the fact that, that we too could have fled Jesus, and we sometimes do, that we too could have betrayed him, that evil lives in us too, and, and in the na- when the naked truth is there, there we are fleeing from Jesus like this man. I debated naming this message The Naked Truth. I thought that would might, you know, raise a few eyebrows or bring a few more people in. I don't know, you know. So what's that about, right? The naked truth. The story exposes the naked truth about all of humanity, does it not? Maybe that's why this man is there. The striking truth is we all have the capacity to betray Jesus. In fact, we do betray him in many and various ways. Probably even today, we, we can do so. I can think of three ways off the top of my head. We can do so with our words. We probably wouldn't flat out deny Jesus like Peter did a little bit later that morning or, or, or betray him exactly overtly like Judas did here, but... But how many times do we take the Lord's name in vain? How many times have we softened our words just to kind of fit in? How many times have we tweaked the truth not to offend? How many times have we remained silent when we should have spoken? How many times have we put others down with our words? spoken ill about someone? How many times have we gossiped about others, defaming their reputation or their personality? You see, Jesus tells us and reminds us in Matthew chapter 25, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, that whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you have done it unto me. 
And so in that way, when we defame others with our words, we are in fact defaming Jesus. James says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. May we examine our words this morning, this week. We all have the capacity to betray Jesus with our words. We all have the capacity to betray Jesus with our actions, with our actions. Christians profess to believe in Jesus, and yet many live like atheists, like unbelievers, as if God didn't exist, as if He wasn't on His throne. We say we believe, but our actions may tell a very different story. We claim Jesus is Lord, and yet we still bow to all of the gods of our culture, money, and power, and prestige. We claim Jesus is our peace, but then we worry and fret over everything. I know I can do that sometimes. We believe God provides, yet we work all the overtime we can and try to get ahead and frantically defend for ourselves. We show up to worship God on Sunday mornings. We may sing the songs and bow our heads at the appropriate time in prayer, but our hearts and our minds are a million miles away. You're already thinking about who's going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're already thinking about that. Las Vegas, you mean, right? Yeah. Now, we can betray Jesus. It's so easy. We're all guilty of this, right? Jesus said, by their fruit you will recognize them. It's by what they do, in other words. Not everyone who just says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And returning to that parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, what did Jesus say? He said, did you clothe me? Did you give me a cup of cold water when I was thirsty? Did you care for the sick? Did you visit the prisoner? Because as much as you have not done it to the least of these, you've not done it unto me. And in this way, we can betray Jesus with our actions. We betray him with our words, with our actions. And and thirdly, we can also betray Jesus with our thoughts. This one's harder to gauge, right? We can't see. I can't see what you're thinking. I don't know what your thought life is like. This one's more hidden, more secret, more private. What's going on between your ears these days? Might you be betraying Jesus with your very thoughts? Paul says in Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that is, in how you think, in how you think. How many of you know that the mind, your mind, can be the devil's biggest playground? Planting negative thoughts, our undisciplined thoughts, getting us to think all negatively, oh, they're out for me, they got it in for me. Satan loves to plant those ideas, those thoughts in our minds, loves to get us all being fearful of what could happen, what might happen, what other people think of us. And in doing this, we really betray Jesus, do we not? The truth of who we are in Him, 
We let our minds run in all kinds of crazy directions. We start believing the lies of the enemy rather than the truth of God's Word and the Spirit of Christ in you who declares that you are, in fact, a child of God and you are, in fact, blessed. It's no wonder that Paul says so boldly, I love this passage, Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Say it with me. Think about such things. Turn to your neighbor and say it. Think about such things. It's not an option, right? This is how we can control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, is it not? We can control, we can learn to train our brain what to think about, and we can, as Paul says, take every thought captive to our Lord Jesus Christ. So that thoughts that are not of God say, hey, hold it, doggone it, I'm going to round you up, lasso you, and throw you out, okay? We're going to take them captive. Get out of here. No, that's not of God. I don't, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to let my mind go in that direction, okay? I mean, this is easier said than done, right? I'm not standing up here as some sort of authority on mental clarity, but I'm just saying that these things are possible. And God calls us to something higher. Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. What do we think of most of the time? Earthly things. May we not betray Jesus in your mind. The fact is we can all betray Jesus. This is the striking naked truth about all of us. We're not always that different than Judas. Let's just be honest. Now for some good news. You're like, come on, pastor. Boy, you're really socking it to us this morning. Give us some relief here, please. I'm killing me. You're killing me. Thirdly, we not only see the shocking traitor, the striking truth, but we also see in this passage the sovereign triumph. Say it with me, the sovereign triumph. And next to that word sovereign, just right in there above or below, the Savior's triumph. The Savior's triumph. I Actually, I like that better, I think. So for some good news, finally, as difficult as this story is for us to stomach, as painful as it is to see Jesus, our Savior, falsely arrested, as angry as we might feel toward Judas and his partners in crime, these religious leaders and turning on Jesus, as frustrated as we might be with ourselves, at times, for falling into the same sin of denying and betraying Jesus. Still, there is reason for hope, for redemption, for victory. Because you see, through the sovereign will of God, triumphs over these evil forces. Amen? Amen. Your Savior triumphs over these evil forces. Amen? In fact, God uses this evil, Judas's betrayal, to accomplish your salvation. I don't understand that. How the sovereign will of God and Judas's free will, his choice, somehow worked together to send Jesus to the cross that he would die for all of us that we might live forever with, with God. Amen? 
What people, what Judas intended for harm, God intends for good. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Judas here is not a puppet of God. There was no prearranged deal that made with Jesus ahead of time for Judas to betray. You just be, I need somebody to betray me so I can get... No, Judas is acting out of his own desires, his own free will, even influenced by Satan, to intentionally and willfully betray Jesus, period. And at the same time, God is using Judas, his bad choices, his evil intent, his treason against Jesus, to accomplish his will, a greater purpose. It boggles the mind. It baffles my thinking. I don't understand it. My finite mind cannot comprehend how God is completely sovereign and in control, and yet how you and I have total free will and choice. Okay, it, it, it's beyond me. As they say, it's beyond my pay grade, right? I don't understand that. If anybody, if any of you do, let me know, because that'd be great. We'll write a book, you know. Jesus even refers to this fulfillment, uh, the fulfillment of Scripture when this is happening. He said these things are happening to fulfill the Scriptures. Verse 49. Yeah, Judas is making his own free will choices. You bet he is. But God is still in control, completely sovereign. You bet he is. But as time will reveal, God has a plan and everything is unfolding by the book. According to the Bible, the Word. It unfolded back in biblical times between Judas and Jesus, and it is unfolding still today in 2024 in your life and mine, in all peoples, in the United States of America, and in this world, and all of humankind too. Amen? Amen. God's purposes will prevail. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Amen? Amen? God is good. God is good. And despite our most ungodly and worst choices and decisions. Despite my most hurtful, hideous, and heinous betrayals of Jesus, despite our raw evil, our naked, blatant sin, willful sin against God, the Savior's mercy and grace and power, and forgiveness, and will still prevails. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Do I understand it? Totally no. Do I believe it? Yes. Can we bank on it? You bet. You better believe it. Judas made his choices. We all make choices every day. A lot of them seemingly rather kind of insignificant. I got to put on this shirt or that shirt, you know. I got to put on a shirt at all. Maybe I'll run around without a shirt on. You know? <laughs> Naked as a jaybird. No, I don't think I want to do that. But <laughs> Good thing we're not being recorded this morning. We recorded the early service. We can say these kind of things. We make a lot of decisions. Judas made his decision. He made his choices. We will make ours. We will make ours. May ours reflect the glory of God. May our decisions bring honor to His name always. And just know when you don't get it right that the Savior's love 
and grace and mercy and forgiveness still prevails. It's not a license to sin. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But just know that in your brokenness, in your shame and guilt and sin, that God's grace is there for you. His grace is sufficient for you. I wrote in my pastor's preview this Friday, which I'm sure you all read eagerly. You can hardly wait to get those on Friday night. You're checking your email every hour, I know, to, to read those. But I talked about the great pretender, right? Uh, you know, the, uh, there's been songs, movies, whatever, you know, a group of the pretenders, you know. How Judas was kind of the great pretender, wasn't he? He was right there. He was going through the motions. He looked good on the outside. He's one of the 12. Wow, he's in the inner circle with Jesus. And he's, wow, he's, he's going through, he's doing it, man. But then you find out, no, he wasn't. That things on the inside were not true at all to Jesus. The psalmist said, O Lord, you desire truth in the innermost parts. May we not be pretenders in our walk with Jesus. Let it be true through and through. You say, what, Lord, this, isn't a, this is a part of me that I'm not proud of. It's a part of me that I'm not happy about. You say, Lord, help, change me. Lord, come. Enter into me. Just touch me right here, right now, in this temptation or in this trial, whatever it is. Lord, transform me so that I am true, that I'm not a pretender. Let it be true for us and true for Grace Church. We're going to keep on chugging. Amen? We're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep doing this because God's Word needs to go out. And how many people that we know within your sphere of relationships, broken, hurting, need Jesus. We have the privilege of introducing people to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Lord, thank you so much for an opportunity to worship you today. Lord, just, um, just work through us. As we come before you today looking at this passage of Holy Scripture and we seek to apply it to our lives, there are so many different ways that we could run with it. And yet, Lord, um, we only need one. So come and impress upon our hearts now, Lord, what it is that you want us to, to hear, to take away. Maybe it's a conviction of a particular sin. Maybe it's a forgiveness, a word of grace that we need today. We're feeling guilty and ashamed. Maybe we've made some bad choices. Maybe we have failed you or betrayed you, Lord. So, Lord, would you come, heal us and help us, make us holy, make us true to you. In Jesus' name we pray it, amen.